Uh, let's grab our Bibles, and uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, if you've got the Bibles that we provide, that'll be on page 835. Page 835. As you're turning there, I also want to make, make sure that everybody um, got a worship guide today. There are a few pieces of um, information that we attach to the worship guide that we're, I'm going to be highlighting in my sermon. And so if you didn't get a worship guide, if you'll just slowly raise your hand up. I've got our ushers coming down uh, to pass those out. So if you didn't get a worship guide, raise your hand. I want everybody to have one of those today. Just raise your hand and, and they'll, um, they'll, they'll get those to you. Well, this is the last sermon and our step series that we've been going through over the past few weeks. Uh, we've, looked at, uh, we've looked at the number of steps in our discipleship strategy. Sunday worship. Why Sunday worship? We looked at why groups, why teams, why covenant membership. And you've heard us continually come back to this focus on challenging everybody to take next steps. And here's why. Steps change stories. You know what I've been encouraged by as a pastor? Over the past few weeks, I've seen people take steps. Man, I'm just I'm celebrating um, every step that I see, just celebrating. So it's been encouraging. I know many of you have taken next steps um, in, in a number of those um, items on our discipleship strategy. So, man, God's going to continue that work in you. Hey, I got another little update. Um, my Baltimore Earls have been taking some next steps also. You, you heard me talk about that, my little league team, when I preached on the group sermon. Um, we've won two games. Hey, yes, yes. I can't take the credit. I've got, you know, my, my players are taking next steps and practicing games, and they're getting better, and, and we've won a few games. Um, but let me just encourage you. As you continue to take next steps to prioritize Sunday worship, groups, teams, membership, you're going to continue to grow. Because as you take steps, you be, you're placing yourself in the rivers and streams of God's grace that he's going to use to mature you, to make you more like Jesus. That tagline on our discipleship strategy, helping all people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus. These are just streams of grace as a church. You place yourself in that, that God will use to mature you to become more like Christ. When you take steps, steps change your story. But you know what else? When you take steps, they have the potential to change somebody else's story. And their changed story has the potential to change somebody else's story. And then that person's changed story has the potential to change somebody else's story. And we can go on and on and on. You see, our, our vision, and it's, it's really Jesus' vision, is that you become like Jesus and you help others become like Jesus. And that's, that's really what we mean by multiply. And so just, just dream with me. What if we collectively as a church leveraged our lives to not just take next steps for us to become like Jesus, but to see other people's stories changed and becoming like Jesus? So that, that we went from just me becoming like Jesus to, to 
how God might use me in a ripple effect to see others become like Jesus. And, and if we did that collectively as a church, man, that gets me. Anybody excited about that? A few people? Come on. That gets me excited. The collective potential of us saying, you know, we're going to become like Jesus and we're going to help others do that also. And so here's what I'm going to do today. My goal today is to answer that question, why multiply? And to do that, we're going to go to Matthew 28. I mean, this is a classic text in the Bible known as the Great Commission. And I can't state enough the significance of, of how these verses should play in your life. They're the final words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. After these words, the, the Gospel's over. This is it. These are his last words with his disciples. And so let's, let's listen and let's be eager to respond to the Word of God. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, the Word of God says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for these words of Christ, these last words that he gave to his disciples. God, we need your grace to receive them as his words to us today. And we need your grace to help us to respond with joyful obedience. God, use these words today to make us more like Jesus. And equip us, Lord, to be about your task, your mission, your purpose for us in this life. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If I were to sum up these last words in a statement it would be this, and this is the point of my sermon today. Maturing followers multiply maturing followers, local and global. Maturing followers multiply maturing followers, local and global. And here's what I want to do. If we're going to do this, if we're going to continue to be maturing followers who multiply maturing followers, local and global, then this passage demands that we respond to Jesus in the following three ways. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, man, what I, just right out of the text, three, three demands. The, the, the text is, is compelling us to respond. And then along the way, I'm going to keep coming back and answering this why multiply question, all right? So the first one is this. If we're going to multiply, then we must submit to the authority of Jesus. Look back at your text here. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
What's unique here about Jesus' authority? Did he not have authority before? Yes, but here's what's happened. With the death and resurrection of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the realm and sphere of his authority now is heaven and earth. And so here's what's happening. God's authority is now mediated through Jesus, the reigning king. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. We could go to Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he has been raised and exalted above all. All authority is given to Jesus. Just let that sink in here for a second. I want to share a quote from um, Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert in their book on the mission in the church. And they say this, God does not send his church out to conquer. He sends us out in the name who was already conquered. We go only because he reigns. This is the good news about the Great Commission. Jesus is conquered. Amen? He is, he is the reigning king. He has all authority. We're not going out to conquer. We looked last week, Matthew uh, chapter 16. This is my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because Jesus reigns. This is the groundwork of the Great Commission. As we think of multiplying our lives, it's flowing out of a reigning king who has all authority, and he's saying, go. Since the Great Commission proceeds from the authority of Christ, we can engage in this mission with great confidence. So why multiply? Because Jesus reigns and his mission will not fail. But let's, let's dwell on this a little bit more. Is, is Jesus the authority in your life? Is Jesus the supreme authority in your life? Let me just, um, we talk about this, helping all people become mature, multiplying follow, followers of Jesus. What does it mean that I'm a follower of Jesus? It, it means that I've come to a point where I've realized in my own sin, I've actually rebelled against God because I wanted to be my own king. I didn't want to submit to God's authority. I wanted to be my own authority. And so I said, no, God, I know better than you do. I'm going to do this with my life. I don't care what you say, God. And I've come to realize that that, do that way doesn't work. That's a, that's a pathway for brokenness. The good news of the gospel is this. I'm a sinner, but Jesus perfectly obeyed God. He went to the cross for my sin, for my rebellion, for my anti-authoritarian. And he said, I'm going to die for you. And if I would believe in him, my sins would be paid for. I would be forgiven and I could be restored to God. And so when, when I, man, when I humbled myself, when God saved me, I humbled myself. I confessed my sin. I submitted to say, I'm following Jesus. He is my king. John Chastine is stepping off the throne and Jesus 
is now directing my life. That's that's what it means to be a follower, to say Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. He's my King. He's, I'm following him. And if I'm following him, well, then he's setting the direction, the guide. He's my authority. One of the main hindrances to the fulfillment of the Great Commission is our lack of submission to the authority of Christ. Why? I think, I'll give two reasons that I think why. One is because somebody else has taken that place. You go back and and if you just read through the Gospels and you hear Jesus talk about discipleship, you'll hear him say, say phrases like this. If you do not hate your mother, your father, your wife, your brother, your sister, your children, even your own life, what? You cannot be my disciple. If you do not renounce everything that you have, you cannot be my disciple. What's he doing there? Jesus takes priority over every relationship in my life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that I hate my wife because he's going to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. But what he's going to say is that as my commitment to King Jesus, I am going to love my wife the way Jesus tells me to love my wife. And I'm going to, I'm going to treat my parents the way Jesus tells me to do that because Jesus is the one I'm following. So as you reflect today on on your life and, and, and multiplying and your response to the Great Commission, could it be that, 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 that there's sin in your life and the sin is, man, there are other people and priorities that have taken the place of King Jesus that need to be repented of today. I'll give an easy one. It's one I've got to wrestle with. We did a, a parent-child dedication last week. Well, what are we asking these parents to do? Open hands, Lord, here's my child. Use them for your purposes. Which means as a father, as I'm raising up my children, and I'm saying, God, it's not my will, it's your will for my kids. And so if it's your will to send my kids to the ends of the earth because you're you're reigning, God, help me to pray for that. That's not my decision to hold on to, that's God's decision. He's king. You guys seen how this wrestles in? We could talk through, walk through every relationship, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, parents. Jesus reigns supremely. But there's another reason. Some of you look at this and you're saying, Jesus isn't talking to me. He's talking to the 11 disciples. He's not telling me to go make disciples. He's telling them to go make disciples. And if that's the case, you just read, that's, that's a great verse there, but that's for somebody else. Let me just knock down that objection really brief. First of all, do you really believe that Jesus thought these 11 disciples were going to make disciples of all the nations? That's a pretty comprehensive task. Maybe. Maybe. What about this? He told them in verse 20 to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So these 11 disciples, 
If they were going to teach the commands of Jesus, they would say, oh, and by the way, the last thing he commanded us was to go make disciples. So go make disciples. This is one of those commands. And then third, the last promise here at the end of verse 20, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Jesus, even in this initial, hey, go make disciples, had him view the nations in terms of scope and, hey, to the end of the age. In other words, until this task is complete, I'm with you. Jesus is looking way past these initial 11 disciples to the many disciples like you and I who were to come and engage in this mission. This is a word not for the 11 disciples. Yes, it's for them, but it's as much to us today. And if you don't get that, you're not going to respond to the authority of Christ in your life. So why multiply? Second, I would say this, because Jesus' command is for all disciples, not just a select few. This command to make disciples is flowing out of his authority. And you may say, you know what, I'm kind of new to Jesus and this Christianity thing. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew 4 to the very first call of his early disciples? To these initial 11, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. From the very beginning, Jesus had multiplication in view. It wasn't like, come follow me, and you know, at some point down the road, you'll go multiply. From the beginning, multiplication was in view. So wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, it's not like you reach some level and you're like, okay, I can multiply now. If you're brand new, and, and today you respond to Jesus, the command is go multiply. What you do know, go share. You may not know everything, but you know something. Go share that. Go multiply that. If we are going to shake the nations for the glory of God, we've got to be a people that are characterized by um, complete submission to the authority of Christ. But second, we've got to obey the command of Jesus. So good, the authority of Christ, now the command of Christ. Look at verse, verse 19. The main command here is make disciples. If you were to go back to the original language, it's, that's the main command, and you've got three participles. The three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. But the main command is make disciples. And, and let's make sure that we get that. It's not a suggestion did you hear me? It's a command. Hey, hey if, if you guys get around to it, hey, go make a few disciples. No. Go make disciples. It's a command. I think sometimes we just hear this as a suggestion. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get around to it one day. It's one of the last words of Jesus to his disciples, go make disciples. And this is why we call our discipleship strategy a discipleship strategy. This is why we exist as a church. If somebody were to ask us, hey, I mean, what are you guys about? We make disciples. This is what we're about. And so our discipleship strategy, you know, if we were to go back to that map, everything is about how we are making disciples. So what's happening today, we might call corporate discipleship. 
When you go and connect with a group, we might call that small group discipleship. When you go and you're walking along the road with a brother or sister in Christ and you're talking about what God's doing or you're getting and reading the word together, we could call that personal discipleship. But the goal is, is discipleship. This is why we exist. Who do we make disciples of? Make disciples of all nations. Isn't this interesting? He doesn't say go make disciples of individuals. The command is actually go make disciples of nations. No, all nations. And this would include Israel as well. Hey, let me help connect a few dots here that may not be obvious just looking at this text. I want to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. I've got it on the screen here. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. And he says this, he says, I will bless those who bless you and I, and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, three, he's telling Abraham, Hey, Abraham, you're this one. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. There you go. The nations are in view, not just Israel. God chose Abraham for all the families. And so what we have in the Old Testament is we have this genealogy that's being traced. We know eventually Abraham, and we go to to Isaac and Jacob, and then name changed to Israel, and then we got all the 12 tribes of Israel there. Eventually we get down to the tribe of Judah, who David comes from. Do you know how Matthew begins his gospel? In Matthew 1.1, I've got this one on the screen here too, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the Davidic and Abrahamic covenants, these promises that God has made. So think about it. Matthew 1 begins with Abraham, and then these very last words in Matthew 28. We just have ringing echoing in the background. Jesus is the one. Here's what he's saying. With this command to go make disciples of all nations, he's saying, I'm the, I, in me, this promise to Abraham that all the families would be blessed, that's coming through me, and I'm going to use my disciples to make it happen. And let me, let me fast forward one more verse to Revelation 7. It's also on the screen here. Look at Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is is Revelation peeking forward. And and what what does John see? the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Look, this is going to happen. It's not like maybe it's going to, this is going to happen. All tribes, tongues, languages, people will stand before the throne and worship King Jesus. And Jesus has invited us to be a part of seeing that happen. So why multiply? 
because Jesus isn't going to return until the gospel is spread to all nations. Look, this is, this is why we exist. When the gospel is preached, Matthew 24, 14 says this, when the gospel is preached to all nations, then the end will come. The only thing that is holding back the return of Christ is the gospel spreading to the nations. That's why when we talk about Redemption Hill, yes, we want to see the gospel change Medford, but we want to see it shake the nations. Because the Great Commission isn't just about Medford or Greater Boston, it's about the world. So how do we go about making disciples? Let's talk about these three participles. First of all, we see here, we make disciples by going. We make disciples by going. Go, therefore. Go. There, there, there are two ways, and I think there's both in view here. One is we, can, we, could, we could explain it this way. As you go, make disciples. So it's this picture is, hey, that the discipleship ought to just be, man, it ought to be integral to your life. Hey, you're going about life, you're making disciples. It's not a one-time make disciples. This is the pattern. This is, I ought to be making disciples. As you write down a mission statement for your life, it ought to include, if you're a follower of Jesus, how am I making disciples? You guys hear me there? This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for community group leaders. This is for followers. My, my life description is, hey, as a follower of Jesus, I go and make disciples. How am I doing that? As you go, make disciples. This is what we often talk about. Discipleship, in this case, is intersection, not addition. For me, what was intersection look like? Hey, I've got kids. That's a great opportunity to share Jesus and make disciples. I intersect that with my life with my wife, with my other, the other relationships God has providentially placed in my life. I'm going to make disciples. In another sense, though, so we talk about going local as you are going. We could talk about going global. Go. It's not just as you go. It's go because the nations are not going to hear the gospel unless you go, right? Like if it was just as you go, how would the disciples have made disciples of all nations? There's implied here, uh, hey, some of you, I'm going to say, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth. And as we read the New Testament, we see that. What's Paul doing? I mean, go read Acts. He's on a mission to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, and he's moving, and he's, he's relocating, and he's, he's seeing the gospel planted. Do you know why Redemption Hill exists today? It's because God called Tanner and myself, and he said, go. If it were not for this, we wouldn't be here today. We, we sense God's saying, you need to go to New England because there's great need here for gospel work. And, and as we started praying early on, and we said, yes, we're going to Boston, our prayer was, let's get to Boston because we want to shake the nations through Boston. What I love about Boston is look around and look at the diversity in this room. You, we've got a lot of nations represented here, and, and we're equipping a lot of people who are going back. And our prayer is, let's help make disciples, and let's send them. 
they're an example of going local. Sorry, going global. Now, not, God's not going to send everybody global. But I think oftentimes we, we ask the wrong question. Would you just, here's a question just to start praying. Oftentimes we say, hey God, should I go? Will you pray this? God, should I stay? Is there a reason why you shouldn't go? Oftentimes we just assume we're supposed to stay. But the command says go. So, so maybe we just start praying, God, God, do I need to stay here or do I need to go? And, 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 and Lee and I, we've talked about this. Like we're in Boston. This is where God has us right now. But King Jesus, he's our supreme authority. And so when he says go, we want to be willing to say, all right, we're going to go to see the mission of God fulfilled. All right, make disciples by going. Second, make disciples by baptism. I got to move quickly here. What's assumed here is the proclamation of the gospel. You go, hey, today we're going to celebrate baptism. Matt's going to come up. He's going to share his story in a second, and we're going to go downstairs and baptize him. What's assumed here in this command to baptize is that you share the gospel, and one of the very first steps as you as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you follow him, he says, go be baptized. That's what we see in Acts. We looked at that a couple weeks ago, right? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the gospel. They say, what should we do? He says, repent and then be baptized. And that day, thousands were baptized. So you have the proclamation of the gospel. You have evangelism. We make disciples. It starts with evangelism and the gospel's at the central of it. You go, you baptize, and you teach teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Check this out. Discipleship's a matter of stewardship. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. They were entrusted with the commands of Jesus. He says, I've commanded you, you now go, and I'm entrusting that, and you go call others. Hey, hey, Paul got this. In 2 Timothy 2.2, one of my favorite verses, um, he says this to Timothy. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Paul telling Timothy, and then Timothy's to entrust it to faithful men. That's the third generation who will be able to teach others also. That's the fourth generation. Do you see multiplication in here? Like this is it. This, this, I mean, you just read through the New Testament and you're going to see this. It's a, you should be thinking everything you're learning, how are you sharing? Like God's word is not supposed to stop with you. It's to change you and flow through you and change somebody else. Here's the deal. God changes people and people change the world. It's you. And don't look to your left and right. Literally like you, God wants to use you to see this mission fulfilled. So why multiply? Because Jesus wants you to share with others what he has entrusted to you. Let's press in a little bit further, though. Teach them to obey. Observe. Hey, here's the deal. We are not just handing over informational knowledge. Teach them to obey. If you're growing in head knowledge and you're not obeying, you're not becoming mature. Knowledge puffs up, right? We want knowledge that goes from, we talk about the head, the heart, and the hands. 
Yes, there's a knowledge component to it, but it just penetrates our heart and our affections and our desires, and then it fleshes itself out in tangible things. So it's one thing to know, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus says go make disciples. It's another thing to go do it. And that's what he's after here. And you know what's also implied here? You can't teach somebody to do something you don't do yourself. He doesn't say, hey, okay, go teach them systematic theology. He says, go teach them to obey what I've told you to do. So assumed in the Great Commission is a maturing disciple. That's why the key point today is maturing followers, multiplying maturing followers. We're growing, and we're not going to stop growing. We're going to keep growing in obedience, and then we're just calling others to grow in obedience. You guys with me? All right. You may say, John, I don't know a ton. You know, one of the best illustrations of this, um, we call him the godfather, um, Curtis Cook from Hope Fellowship Church, um, was sharing about discipleship. And he said this, he said, hey, if you had a friend come to Boston and asked you to, to give him a tour, what, what are your options? You could tell him, you know, you, you can go hire an expert you can go do a duck boat ride. You can, go, you can go pay somebody, the expert, to go give you a tour. Or you can say, you know, you know, I don't know everything about Boston. But, you know, I've lived here a little bit. I can go show you what I do know. Go make disciples. You could go say, hey, you know, you could go pay an expert to teach you the Bible. You say, you know what, I don't know everything, but I do know a few things. You know what I want to say? Those few things, go tell somebody. Go show them, hey, this is what I do know, and God's changed me, and I just want to share that with you. And you know what? Let's keep growing in our knowledge of, of how to give tours at Boston. Let's keep growing in our knowledge of how to, how to obey Jesus and help others obey Jesus. All right. Let me talk practical here with you. Pull out your multiply local and global card. Everybody should have these. They were attached to your worship guide. Look on the back. I just, I just want to walk through some tangible, just tangible ways. You see, you know what? I want to take a next step to help you think about a next step. And I'm going to have to move through these pretty brief, but go ahead and write your name and, and your email. And I, really, I want you to mark these. I'd love to see 30, 40, 50 of these turned in today because we'd love to help you. This is, our, this is why we exist, help you take next steps to make disciples. What about this? I'll intentionally pray for at least three names on my multiply card. Attached to your worship guide was also this card. It's called Multiply. This is really simple. On the back, you'll just see you in the center and then a bunch of circles. This, this represents your relational network. The best person to reach those circles is who? It's you. It's not me. Look, Redemption Hill's not going to blow up because of three pastors. This thing is going to spread when collectively, as a church, we own this. And we say, I'm going to own my circles. These are my circles. God has providentially placed these people in my life. These neighbors are my neighbors. These are my coworkers. These are my classmates. And you own those. And would you just commit, hey, I'm, going to, I'm going to just fill three to five names here. I'm going to start praying. Maybe that's the next step for you today. What about the next one here? I'll extend at least one irresistible invitation 
to a pathway this summer. A pathway is sim- simply an entry point, an entryway. It's, it's how somebody enters into the life of our church. A lot of you are invited to Sunday mornings. Maybe this is your entry point. Somebody invited you, you came here. So an invitation could be, hey, join us on a Sunday. Grab an invite card and invite somebody. Maybe it's, hey, next weekend we're doing a Memorial Day cookout on Monday night. The reason we do those, yeah, you get to connect with your friends, but it's a great opportunity to go to your neighbor, that classmate, that coworker, and say, hey, and won't you just come? We're just going to be hanging out. We're grilling out. We may play some basketball, throw some frisbee around, whatever. Come hang with me. Maybe that's the invite you extend to. Maybe it's a group outing. A lot of our groups are planning connecting events this summer. And you want to invite a friend, hey, we're going to go bowling. Hey, come with me. We're going bowling. we got a barbecue and movie night uh, at the Creros. Come with me. That's where we're headed. Maybe that's your next step. What about this? The third one. I'll host a barbecue or other event at my house and invite my neighbors over. I love this. Would you, would you just consider, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to host the event at my house. It's, the church ain't going to plan it. You're going to just host it and just invite your neighbors just to get to know them. What about fourth? I want to be trained, equipped to share the good news of Jesus. Maybe you're just realizing, you know what? I, this is what I'm being commanded to do. I, I need to be equipped. That's your next step. I want to share the gospel with at least one person this summer. Maybe that's it. It's just, I want to do it. What about this? I commit to sharing a story of God's work in my life with a friend this summer. The next one. I'd like to be equipped to disciple others and help them grow. Maybe you're like, you know, I want to make disciples. I want to do personal discipleship. But I'm, I'm just not sure where to start. Could, could you invest in me? Or maybe it's like, you know what? I know what to do. I've just been, I've been sinful. I've been lazy. And I haven't done it. I'll initiate a discipling relationship with him or her and help them grow. You know what would that look like? Hey, let's grab coffee. Let's grab a meal together. Hey, let's open the word. If you've got scripture, relationships, and time, transformation is going to happen. That's it. Take your Bible, go meet with somebody, and spend time with them. Maybe it's grab a book off of our resource table or come ask a pastor, hey, recommend a good book. Hey, let's read this book together and let's grow in Christ. Not head knowledge, but in application. Let's see him transform us. What about this? Those, for the most part, have been go local. Now I want us to turn our view to going global. I'd like to serve with a redeeming grace this summer. This requires a little more intentionality. I don't live in Arlington. Kevin was up here sharing earlier. To me, that's some more intentionality. But, hey, what, what I take a step to say, you know what? I want to serve with Kevin. Let me, there's a blank there because there are a few ways that you could serve with them this summer. Here's an option. Hey, maybe it's, you know what, the way you to serve with them is, hey, I want to provide child care on one of your Sunday evening gatherings. They gather on Sunday evenings. I'll come over one Sunday and provide child care. Kevin's actually going to be at our mission table um, after the baptism with a sign-up. You can go today and sign up. I'm going to help out with child care. Maybe it's this. They're doing an evangelistic Bible study. He mentioned, you know somebody who lives in Arlington that you'll invite to that. So you know what, I want to invite, and maybe invite and bring and come to that. Or a third one, they're doing a summer movie night. You say, you know what, I want to come and pass out door hangers to promote this event on um, Saturday, July 22nd at 10 a.m. Hey, I'll come pass out door hangers in Arlington to see this mission continue to spread there. What about this? I want to explore going on a mission trip. Man, one of the best ways to just get your heart, man, beating for the nations is just to get out of your own comfort zone. 
We're taking a trip. John Vickers is going to be leading a trip to New York City to see Sylvanus. We showed a video of him recently to work with them for a few days. You'll see that August 9th through 13th. We've linked the sign up in the newsletter the past few weeks. Go to our mission table today to find more information. If you're interested, just check off New York City. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not in a position, position right now to go, but I want to help somebody else go. Your heart will follow where you spend your money. So I'm just giving you some practical advice. You want your heart to chase the nations? Give. So maybe, maybe the way you function right now is say, you know what? I'm going to help find somebody financially go. And you just, you check that, no strings attached, and you can always say no. But say, you know, I want to help somebody. Somebody says, I want to go to India, but I, I got to find the money. I want to help them. This is just a taste. Man, I hope, you were, hope your mind was even triggered, stimulated with some other ideas on how you could go local and go global. But let me wrap up with this. The Great Commission ends with these words. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We submit to the authority of Christ. We obey the command of Christ. And we depend on the presence of Christ. Guys, this is good news. He doesn't say, I will be with you. He says, I am. When you engage in the Great Commission, you have the presence of Christ who's saying, I'm empowering this thing. I have all authority, and it's going to happen. It's not like you got to muster up all the strength and energy. I mean, Jesus is he's coming along and wanting to pure, pour all kind of fuel on this thing and the power and to see it happen, and you take that step. Say, God, use me. David Platt, who's the president of the International Mission Board, says this. The greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel to the nations today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. Did you hear that? If you're sitting there today and you're saying on the inside, John, you're not convincing me. Is it because you think in your own power you can't make disciples? Is that just revealing, you know what? I have little faith and trust in a great God. Would you pray an audacious prayer with me today? God, I don't see any way how I can make a disciple. But I'm going to step out in faith, trusting your promise that you are, you're, you're, all authority has been given to you and your presence will be with me and that this is going to happen. God, would you just, would you help me make a disciple? Would you help me extend an, an irresistible invitation? Would you help me share the gospel with my neighbor? God, I, I'm scared to death. When you take steps, and those steps change your stories, they also have the power to change somebody else's story. My prayer is that God would use us collectively to take a step today, trusting in the power and presence of Christ to say, God, move in us.
for your fame and glory. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, even this command, as scary as it may seem, to disciple the nations, God, we rest in your presence. We rest in your authority. God, may it not be said of Redemption Hill that we fail to advance the gospel because we depend too much on ourselves. But God, would you work in us a dependence on Christ and your spirit so that even when we're scared to death, we have an incredible confidence. I'm scared, but Jesus is powerful. And Jesus will work, and he will move, and he will bless, and he will transform. God, work in us and use us to multiply. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.